very first time, and she came in and she talked to someone who had greeted her, and it was someone who has been attending this church for years. So she was asking the person who greeted her, hey, um, like she was asking questions about what the service is like, you know, before it happened. And one of the questions apparently that she asked early on, because he told me he had this conversation with his visitor, um, one of the questions she asked early on, she said, hey, uh, how long are the sermons here? <laughs> And I thought that was interesting. Like, I don't know what it's like, you know, to, to be you, because I'm me. Um, but I didn't know that that was such a big deal, that you, like, you asked that first. How long are the sermons here? So the guy answered her, and it's interesting, because it's a guy who's been going to our church for a while, and he actually has preached here once before. So he told her that. He said, actually, I have preached a sermon here once before, and I asked the pastor that question. How long is a sermon supposed to be? And this is the answer that he gave me. He said, a sermon can be however long you want it to be, as long as it feels like 20 minutes. <laughs> Which is true. Like that, I, did, I really did tell him that, and I didn't make that up. I got that from my pastor in Texas. Um, that's what he told me when I said, how long is a sermon? He said, any length you want, as long as it feels like 20 minutes. So I have actually been struggling this morning in deciding how long I should preach um, because I, I wrote um, a 40-minute sermon this morning. But then I remembered it was Lord's Supper, and I like to go shorter on the weeks where we celebrate Lord's Supper. And so then I realized, well, I could, could just cut it in half. There's sort of a halfway point where I could just, I could do a 20-minute sermon this week, and we'd have time for Lord's Supper, and then I could do the rest of it next week. Um, and so everybody still be hearing the same things, just over two weeks instead of one. And I went, gone back and forth, gone back and forth, couldn't decide. Um, <laughs> so I've never done this in 11 years. But I'm going to let you vote, Okay. <laughs> We're going to do a show of hands in just a minute. So uh, if you want, <laughs> um, and, and you need to realize the gravity of the situation because whatever you pick, you're picking for 11 o'clock. I'm not doing a different thing for that service. So, so you don't just do what you think's best for you. You've got a whole nother service of people that you are deciding on their behalf. So if you're someone who goes, I just want to hear the whole thing. I don't care. I know there's Lord's Supper and I just, I don't care how long the sermon goes. I want to hear the whole, all 40 minutes, do it all at once. I can't possibly wait till next week. I want to see your hands now. All right. If you're someone who says, hey, it's the same stuff and I can, I can remember better if it's in two pieces rather than one. So I'd rather, I'd rather have it in two pieces and um, then Doug can take as long as he wants to explain Lord's Supper. So let's go ahead and do it. Let's do it 20 minutes a day and then let's do the rest next week. Raise your hand now. Let me see. All right. I think... I think the 20 minutes won, all right? So, um, so this is my plan. I'm going to go ahead and preach the first half of the sermon that I had planned. And then when I get to the end, if you're someone that thinks like, well, there should have been more. Well, guess what? There is, okay? <laughs> Come back next week, and I will do the second half of this sermon next week. Um, but I'm going to just do the shorter version today. And I'm hoping that it will, this will do what I'm, I hope it will do. I hope that you will remember this week's sermon, and then next week you'll remember that one, and it'll be better for you than if you'd heard it all at once. So... Isn't that weird? Never, that's, 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 has anybody ever, has that ever been, have you ever gone to a church where that's happened before? Yeah, that's weird. It's weird. I, I don't even know. I don't know if I'm allowed to even do that, but, but <laughs> here we go. Um, let me go ahead and pray, and then we're going to start. God, uh, thank you for that. I pray that, I hope that you um, are in the midst of this, and that I say the things that you want me to say today. And I pray that you would help us to be good listeners and hear your word, and even, and even hear and see your word when we, when we take Lord's Supper later on um, in this service. Um, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We are in a series called Life of Paul, and we are talking about the life of Paul. This is series two. We're actually in the second missionary uh, journey of the Apostle Paul. And um, 
we're just going to pick up right where we left off last week. So he has been going through uh, the Mediterranean. He's been telling people about Jesus. He's gone from town to town. Uh, was last week we learned the section where he is in Thessalonica and he preached the gospel there. And then in the middle of the night, he rushed off to Berea. And that was where we left off last week. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week with Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that God's message had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and disturbing the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul away to go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So that is our scripture text. That is our scripture text for this week and next week. Um, and going through it, just a little bit at a time, if you look at verse 10 where it begins, it says, it's, the story begins this way, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. The brothers, if you were here last week, you may remember, that would be the Thessalonians, okay? The Christians in Thessal Thessalonica are the people who sent the brother, or sorry, they are the brothers who sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. The, if you remember the story from last week, there was like a riot in town. There had been a big mob and all the people were all upset and Paul and Barnabas, they were all upset at Paul and Silas. And so um, at night, the brothers apparently met up with Paul and Silas and said, you got to get out of here. Like you don't, when the sun comes up, you don't want to be here. The people were very angry earlier today. You missed out on it, but we didn't. It was terrible. And you got to go. So they left and they snuck off to Berea in the middle of the night. Berea would be a town that's about 45 or 50 miles away from Thessalonica. And on arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, do you remember last week where it said, as usual, Paul and Silas went into the synagogue? So this passage doesn't say as usual, but you can tell it is what they did usually. Usually what they did is they would go into a town and they would find the synagogue and they would start preaching the gospel there. And so that's what they did. Verse 11, the people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, right? So um, I think that Paul here is using this phrase as a compliment, okay, more open-minded. He's saying that they were better than the people of Thessalonica, especially as the story goes on, you can tell. They accepted the gospel better than the people of Thessalonica did. Um, the word that's translated open-minded, it can also be translated noble, okay? And some of you might even have Bibles that say that the people here were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Um, but obviously Luke was saying something complimentary. He's saying these people were better. They, they handled the word of God better, okay? They welcomed the message with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. And then verse 12 says, consequently, like because of the way that they reacted to God's word, consequently, many of them believed. Many people became Christians in Berea, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men, which interesting, prominent Greek women. Luke really likes bringing that up. Like this, is a, this is a significant group of people who came to know Jesus, both in Thessalonica and in Berea. Prominent Greek women as well as men converted and believed the gospel. Then verse 13 but when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that God's message has been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and disturbing the crowds. Eventually, the Bereans did the same thing that the Thessalonians did, although the Bereans didn't do it on their own. They needed help from the Thessalonians. Thessalonians figured out how to do it all on their own. The, both of these stories have um, this like, sort of crowd of disturbed crowd of people pushing Paul out of town. But um, in this case, the, it looks like the Bereans would not have done it on their own. 
They handled it much better than the Thessalonians. Things were going fine until the Thessalonians showed up and stirred up the crowd. So those of you who were here last week, you remember, in Thessalonica, it was the Thessalonians that stirred up the Thessalonians, right? In, In Thessalonica, when Paul and Silas went around preaching the gospel, it was Thessalonian people who stirred up people of their own town and were like, let's get them. That's what happened. This week, the Bereans didn't do that. They were good. But then after a while of good, the Thessalonians heard that Paul was preaching, and he's like, oh, he's saying the same stuff that he said in, in our town. The thing that we ran him out of town, he's now doing it over there. Have, have you heard that they're upset about it? No, they're not even upset about it. Well, let's go get them upset about it. And so they show up, and they stir up the crowds in Berea, and the same thing happens. Paul leaves. In verses 14 and 15, you see this. The brothers immediately sent Paul away to go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So Those who escorted Paul, I assume, are Christians who were in Berea, and they escorted him probably for security reasons, for safety reasons. Back then, being like a single person traveling around, it was probably risky. Like, it's unsafe to just be all alone traveling from city to city for miles. You're, you know, you're vulnerable to bandits or whatever. You could easily be overpowered. But in this case, I think it's even more than just that. It's not just we don't want you to be alone. It's, this, this is not someone just traveling alone. This is someone traveling alone in a region where there are crowds of people who hate him. So he is escorted by a group of Christians who are, I think, kind of like his bodyguards, and they get him all the way to Athens. And I think at that point they go, I think you're far enough away that you're safe now. Then, interesting, Silas and Timothy stay on there. So it looks like they wanted to continue to pastor the church and disciple the people and teach them things. And so Silas and Timothy stay behind. But Paul goes on to Athens, and Paul tells his security guard, escort people, hey, tell Silas and Timothy to to find me, tell them to catch up with me whenever they're done. And so the plan was to catch up and reunite later. So that's it. That's our story. That's our passage for this week. And if you read it, and especially if you're familiar with what we read last week, um, this this morning's passage is quite similar to last week's passage. It's it's almost the same story again, just in a different city. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just point out some of the similarities, and then I'm going to point out two of the big differences between this passage and last week's passage, and we're going to focus on the differences. But let me point out some similarities first. If you look at what we learned last week and you look at what we learned this week, the similarities are, um, first of all, new town. Um, Paul and Silas and Timothy show up in a new town that they've never been to before. They're strangers to the town, and they go around and they start preaching. Both stories involve them preaching the gospel. Both stories involve them preaching the gospel in the synagogue. Um, both stories involve people converting to Christianity. Both stories involve the people who converted to Christianity being Gentiles, especially. Both stories have a mob of people who get stirred up, and both stories end with Paul escaping to the next city. So, that the, so it's almost like the same story all over again. However, there are two differences, maybe more, but there's at least two that I noticed, two big differences with this story and last week. One of them is that in this case, Paul escapes alone. Did you notice that? Last week, it was the missionary team that all got chased out of town and they went to Berea. But in this case, Paul escapes Berea and goes to Athens by himself and leaves behind the other missionaries. So that's one difference. Another difference in this passage is that the Bereans examine the scriptures and they accept the gospel much more readily and much more eagerly than the Thessalonians did. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning, those two differences. Difference number one, Paul escapes alone. I want you to think this through. The fact that Paul has to escape the city, but Silas and Timothy are able to remain in the city, that tells you something, doesn't it? Like there's this mob of people and they're upset. And when Paul leaves, okay, everything, I guess, goes back to normal. Things are tolerable again. But, but Silas and Timothy, they, they got to stay. Do you get what I'm saying? 
Like, Paul must have been the troublemaker. Like, it's not, it's not like, oh, they all left and they're fine. Paul left and then psh, things were fine, right? That Silas and Timothy somehow got to stay behind and teach. Paul had to go. And when I say Paul must have been the troublemaker, I don't mean it like in a bad way. I think it's wonderful that he was going around and sharing the gospel. I'm glad that he was bold and saying to people, I don't, you, may, you may not even know you need to hear this. You may not want to hear this, but you need to know. I think it's wonderful that he did that, but I'm just saying, when you read the story, especially when you see these crowds are getting stirred up and then Paul was sent away, but Silas Timothy stayed behind, Paul must have been the outspoken one. He must have been the unapologetic one, right? He must have been the one that was saying, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, and you are sinners, and you need to be forgiven by him. Like He is the judge at the end of all time, and you need, to, you need to surrender to him as your Lord. And there may have been people that said, well, it offends me that you're saying that. And it seems like Paul was the kind of guy that was like, it doesn't matter if it offends you. Like, is it true? Like, what I'm saying is true. That's what matters. And so I just think the way the stories tell, you can tell he's the assertive one. He's the loud one. And so as, as best as I can tell, Silas and Timothy believe the same things Paul believed. When they would teach, they would teach the same exact things that Paul taught, but they were able to stay behind and, and teach the church there. Paul had to get out of town. I don't know how to apply that part of the story to our lives other than to just recognize God uses all kinds of personality types to accomplish his will. Amen? All kinds of personality types to accomplish his will. There's, some of us are loud and some of us are quiet and some of us are assertive and some of us are supportive and there's just all different types of people in God's kingdom and God uses all kinds of types of people to accomplish his will. The next difference that I want to point out, and this is the one I want to focus most of our time on because I think this is the big difference. This is the, this is the one that the author of Acts wanted you to notice was different and that is the way that the Bereans reacted to the scriptures. And the way that I know the person who wrote this, Luke, the way I know he wanted you to notice the difference between this and last time is because he says it. Like, there are times where you can read two Bible stories and talk about the differences. But in this case, Luke points out the difference. Look at verse 11. He wants you to notice, okay, here we are in Berea, right? It's the story before I told you was Thessalonica. Here's Berea. These people, the Bereans... It's a nice song. It's a good, it's a good song. <laughs> Isn't it great when, you're, when your phone goes off and it's a song and it's not like something you'd be ashamed of to happen at church? Um, <laughs> I'm having a memory of something that happened in the old building, but I don't need to shame that person anymore <laughs> than they were shamed at the time that it happened. Okay, so, um, so Luke, uh, Luke is telling us the story and he says, the people here, meaning in Berea, the people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. It's not, he's not even just trusting that we're going to notice that they reacted differently. He says, no, this one was different. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Luke is drawing attention. He's comparing these two cities and he's saying, hey, the second city people, they handled it better, right? Um, and this is the big thing that the Bereans are known for. I have grown up in church. I've been a Christian for a long time. I have heard about the Bereans a lot. I'm not sure if I've ever heard a sermon on, actually on this section of the Bible, but I've heard the Bereans talked about a lot. Like people say, you got to be a Berean. It's important to be a Berean. There are, some of you maybe have passed a church called Berean Baptist Church. And if you're ever wondering why it's called that, it's from this verse, okay? It's that these were the people who examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bereans are famous for this, pretty much this one thing. They were the ones that examined the scriptures when Paul showed up. And that is so important. When I look at this passage, I, I see that these people were open-minded, but they weren't too open-minded. Do you see that? They, they were, I feel like they were the perfect balance. They were open-minded, 
but they were not too open-minded. I say that they're open-minded because they welcomed this new message, right? They welcomed the message with eagerness. What message? It was something they'd never heard before. The fact that the Messiah had already come, they didn't know that. The fact that he would have to suffer and die for our sins and rise again, I don't think that they were, they didn't know this. This was a new message. And yet they were open-minded. They were teachable. They were open to it. So I would say they are, they are open-minded. And yet they weren't too open-minded because it does not say they welcomed the message with eagerness because that's how they welcomed all messages, right? Anytime a stranger came into town, they just went, well, he's got to be true. He's talking, right? Whatever he's saying has got to be right. He's saying it out loud. No, it doesn't say they welcomed it with eagerness because they welcomed everything with eagerness. They welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They checked the Old Testament scriptures to see if Paul was correct. And I love this. Um, this is quite a bit different than many church people nowadays. As a pastor, um, I get to observe a lot of church people behavior, okay? Uh, pr- probably more than you do. I get to see a-, a lot of it, okay? Some of which is wonderful. Some of which is weird. <laughs> but one thing that is sort of frustrating sometimes is to watch church people be overly close-minded or overly open-minded. There's really a problem with both of these things. Let me tell you what I mean. First of all, overly close-minded. There are some of us probably in this room who lean toward being overly close-minded, that we hear things, and sometimes when we hear stuff that we've never heard before, we go, well, that can't be right because I've never heard of it. Any of you do that? Okay, so when I say overly close-minded, I'm saying there are some of us, and I'm saying us, okay? This might seem like a rebuke. Some of you might be like, I think he's about to rebuke me. Probably I am. But, but, but I'm, in the, I'm, I'm putting myself in the group, okay? So I'm also being rebuked by me right now because I'm one of the people that does this. I lean in this direction, that, that I sit there and maybe you're like me, you've sat there before and a preacher gets up or a teacher gets up and they say something and you go, I've never heard that before. And you think, must be wrong, right? That can't be right. I've never heard that. But you know what, you know what that means? Like we would never admit this. I, w- I would never say this loud, out loud. I bet you you wouldn't either. But what we're assuming in that moment is I already know all the true things, right? If you hear something that you've not heard before and you immediately go, well, that can't be right, you're assuming you know all the true things. What are the odds that that's right? (laughs) Isn't that crazy that we would say, well, I've never heard that. That can't be right. How do you know? I've never heard that before. If it were true, I'd have heard about it by now, right? The fact that he's saying something I haven't heard, it's got to be one of the wrong things, right? I probably haven't heard everything wrong, but I've heard all the true stuff. How arrogant are we to be that unteachable and assume we've got to a point in our life where I've heard all of the true things? And then there are some of us who are overly open-minded. What do I mean by overly open-minded? I'm talking about people who believe whatever the preacher says without even checking the scriptures. People do that all the time, right? Especially, especially if the thing that the preacher says is something you like, you just go, well, that's got to be true. How do you know? Well, I really like it, Right? If the preacher says something you already agree with, if he says the kind of thing that you already were leaning toward anyway, if it's the kind of thing like, well, that's what I would hope it would be true, and then he gets up and says it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's got to be right. I was thinking that anyway, right? If, when, if, if a preacher gets up and says something that you want to hear, sometimes there's assumption, a lot of Christians, they go, well, that must be right. And then someone goes, well, should we check the scriptures to see? No, 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 don't ruin this with the Bible. I like, <laughs> I like what he's saying. You see the problem with that? This whole system if, if, of if I like what he says, he must be right, and if I don't like what he says, then he must be wrong, that is a bad way to digest teaching. 
However, the Bereans, the Bereans welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Let us be Bereans. I'm going to go ahead and cut off the sermon there. I've got more to say that I will say next week, and I'm excited about it. In fact, if you have someone that's kind of skeptical of the scriptures, next week would be a good week to bring them. Um, yeah, aren't you glad? Look, now you got an opportunity. Um, I'm going to call Kenan up at this point, and Doug, Doug, you can take as long as you want to do Lord's Supper, because I did not take all my time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer, and then they're going to come up, and we're going to take uh, Lord's Supper together. God, I thank you so much for this moment. Um, I thank you that we get to like visually see the gospel as your body and your blood portrayed before us given for us, your blood as a new, um, as shed for a new covenant, that your body was broken for us. And so we thank you for this. And I also thank you for the passage we just learned. I pray you would help us, those of us who are overly closed-minded, I pray you'd help us to be teachable people. I pray for those of us who are open-minded and just going like, well, I'm just going just, to just, just take whatever I, whatever I think is, I like. I pray you'd help us to be so much more committed to your word than that. And I thank you for using all different personality types in your kingdom. Thank you for including me. Thank you for including these people that are in the room with me who you have included. Thank you so much. We love you and we thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.